Welcome to Cypher's Point 2 LME Nation podcast. On today's episode, Rob Siva sits down with Katherine Greenberg, Special Counsel for the New York City Commission on Human Rights, to discuss pay transparency in job advertisements and the Commission's March 22, 2022 guidance for employers. Enjoy! Starting May 15th, 2022, New York City law will require that job postings, both internal and external, will need to provide a good faith salary range for every job, promotion, and transfer opportunity that is advertised. On March 22nd, 2022, the Commission on Human Rights in New York City issued a fact sheet that will provide guidance to employers on the Commission's interpretations of some of the nuances of this law. Today, we're pleased to be sitting down with Katherine Greenberg, Special Counsel with the New York City Commission on Human Rights, where she works in the Commission's Law Enforcement Bureau and on its policy team, to discuss a few of these nuances and to do a deeper dive on certain aspects of this new law. My name is Rob Sibba. I'm a partner at Cypherth, and I focus on advising employers on compliance with various federal, state, and local requirements of hiring, employee relations, and terminations of employment. And I also defend employment lawsuits that challenge various employment practices. Catherine, welcome. Welcome to our podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're delighted to have you and delighted to talk through some of these considerations with you. First and foremost, the law speaks to a disclosure of salary information, really employee compensation that involves commissions, bonuses, tips, as well as other benefits and varieties of compensation are also oftentimes included as part of employee compensation in general. So in the disclosure and the job ads, what are employers actually required to list in a job posting? So salary in this context includes only the base wage or the base rate of pay. And that's regardless of the frequency of payment. So it could be an hourly wage, $15 an hour, an annual salary. Salary here for purposes of this law does not include other forms of compensation or benefits. So it would not include insurance, paid time off, severance pay, overtime pay, commissions, tips, bonuses, stock, things like that do not have to be included in job ads. What about positions where the majority of the compensation really is commission-based? It might be a nominal salary or, or a low base salary just for the employee to have as a baseline, but the vast majority of the compensation is actually commission-based. How does that play in? So the law certainly doesn't prohibit employers from including additional information about benefits and other types of compensation. And for positions that are largely commission-based, an employer may choose to do that rather than have an advertisement that would seem to suggest that there's no compensation at all, simply a salary of zero. Where compensation is partly in commissions or all in commissions, then what this law would require is that the employer provide a good faith range of what the base salary may be. And if they want to indicate that that would be in addition to commissions, they're welcome to do that as well. What about in situations where the employer lists a job that is open, but doesn't really have a great reference point as to what the market will bear. So for example, the employer might post a job and depending on the applicants that it gets, that salary number might change. That might create a lot of uncertainty for the employer too, as to what it's willing to pay or what the salary range might be. How does an employer handle that type of situation? So presumably employers are used to doing due diligence on what's a fair salary for a particular position at some point in their hiring process. They might be used to doing that due diligence later in the process rather than upfront. But what this law is asking is that they do enough of that due diligence before posting the job that they can include a good faith range. And that means what they believe at the time of the posting, they honestly are willing to pay the successful applicant. Now, facts may change after the posting. 
An applicant may walk in who brings skills and experience that the employer didn't consider and is demanding a salary that's above what the employer posted in the range. The employer does not have to stick with the range if circumstances change after the posting. So good faith is evaluated at the time the posting was made and is not ultimately going to be based exclusively on what salary the employer ends up paying. That's interesting. So it sounds like the employer has flexibility to pivot once actual applicants are coming in the door. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would assume that in an instance of salary negotiations where an employee is able to leverage, whether it's skills or experience or other factors, to negotiate a salary that's above and beyond the listed range, that sounds like it would be acceptable. Is that right? I think the question for our law enforcement bureau and presumably if cases are filed in court as well is always going to be, was the range selected in good faith? And if there's evidence that it was, so if the employer is able to explain, for example, I based the range on what I was paying people who were currently in that position, and then this candidate walked in who had greater expertise than I had ever hired before, that would tend to support a finding that there was good faith in the original trouble thing. Let's talk about another sentence that was in the fact sheet that was released recently. The sentence states, covered employers should follow the law when advertising for positions that can or will be performed in whole or in part in New York City, whether from an office, in the field, or remotely from the employee's home. Now, this sentence to me raises a bit of a a gray area of jurisdiction, especially in terms of our current employment climate, if you will, where there's a lot of push for remote work, hybrid work, and employees in that context could be working really anywhere across the country and even the world. A company that's hiring for positions on the front end before it gets any applicants in the door, makes any hiring decisions, might have questions as to what this language can or will be performed in whole or in part in New York City might mean. Are you able to kind of give us a little bit more clarification on that? Yeah, I can give some, and I wish I could give more, but the territorial reach of the city's human rights law, so what employers it applies to, what jobs it applies to, isn't defined by our agency or even by the text of the law itself. It's been defined by the courts through case law, through the New York Court of Appeals, and then there are other appellate and trial level decisions that have been issued by federal and state courts that help define the scope of which employers are covered and under what circumstances. So the city's human rights law has had requirements and prohibitions on language in job advertisements for decades now. And so there is some case law discussing which job ads are covered and when, which hiring decisions are covered and when. And in general, what those court decisions have held is that if the job itself is going to be performed in New York City and thus the impact of the discrimination that's been alleged was felt in New York City, that is what makes the New York City human rights law apply to a particular fact pattern. So things like the residence of the applicant or the headquarters of the employer are not relevant. Now, of course, now that we live in a world where people work from home, if where you work is where you live, then where the applicant lives might become relevant, but not because it's their domicile, because it's where they're performing the work. So in general, that's the concept that we seek to apply and that our agency has been applying not just to this amendment, but to some amendments within the past decade. For example, the Fair Chance Act, salary history ban, we're looking to see is the position going to be or can it be performed in New York City when we're thinking about jurisdiction? 
Let's take a couple of real examples just to flesh this out a little bit. So if we have a company who is in New York City hiring for a remote position with no regard for geography, so the position can be performed in New York City, in New Jersey, Canada, with no preference by the employer. The employer has no real interest in that aspect of it. But the position reports to someone who is located in New York City. Would that job posting require a salary disclosure? So if this position could be performed in New York City, then our agency's position would be that the city's human rights law, including the salary transparency requirement, does apply to it. When employers are hiring in New York City, even if they're also hiring for other places at the same time, that's when our law would apply. So who the person, the applicant or the position ultimately will report to, their location is not as important as where the work itself would be performed. Okay. What about if the company has locations everywhere? They have a national footprint and offices and all kinds of places, including New York City. And the company is hiring for a remote position, again, with no regard for geography. So like I said before, New York City, New Jersey, Canada, no preference by the employer. But the position reports to someone or a department uh, that's based out of another state, let's say New Jersey, for example. How does that play out? Is there any difference in the analysis? So I don't think there would be any difference in the analysis in terms of whether or not the law enforcement bureau would file a complaint. I think the answer is that they would. There might be differences in terms of how an investigation was conducted if we're aware that the employer has many other employees in New York City, we might be more interested in the employer's policies for current employees in a way that we wouldn't be if that employer didn't have any other employees or offices in New York City. But for purposes of assessing whether there's jurisdiction to accept a complaint, I think the answer would be the same. Yeah. Let's make another tweak to this hypothetical and change the facts around a little bit. Let's say our hypothetical company is located in Newark, New Jersey, and has no presence whatsoever in New York City, and is hiring for a remote position that, again, has no regard for geography as to the position, and the position can be performed in New York City, New Jersey, Canada, without any regard. The position reports to somebody located in Newark. What about there? No footprint in New York City. I think our analysis would be the same, that it's not about the location of the employer, it's about the location of the work. And so if the work could be performed in New York City per the job ad, then the city's human rights law would apply. You know, this is an area of our law because it's not defined by statute or by our agency that continues to evolve. And with so much more remote work happening in reality now, there's going to be more and more opportunities for courts to weigh in on the geographic scope of the city's human rights law and other laws as well, of course. But from the perspective of our agency and our law enforcement bureau, when a case could come within the city's human rights law based on current case law, that's a case that we accept and investigate. Okay, let me play devil's advocate just a little bit more and add a slight, slight tweak to our example. We have a job posting. The position is located in Newark, New Jersey, because that's where the position reports to. That's where the employer is located. But the position can be performed remotely from anywhere. That means theoretically somebody in New York City could apply for the job would that job need to disclose salary? I think it really depends on the wording of the advertisement and the emphasis. You know, if the job posting simply says this position is located in Newark, then that's not going to give an indication to applicants to our agency or otherwise that it could be performed from New York City. And thus, it would not be clear that the salary transparency requirement would apply. 
On the other hand, if the advertisement is framed as this is a remote position that would report to the Newark office and the position can be performed from anywhere in the United States, then I think that's something our agency would assert jurisdiction over. I'm really enjoying playing devil's advocate here with you, Hafren. This is really fun. (laughs) So one more. How about this? Let's really uh, come up with something good for you because I feel like I want to stump you, but I'm I'm not I'm not getting there yet. (laughs) How about the company has offices in New York City, but is hiring for a remote position that's going to be reporting out of state? Again, let's use Newark, New Jersey as an example. But this time in our job posting. It's going to say employees planning to work remotely from New York City will not be considered with the intention to exclude any connection with anyone in New York City so that the company can really avoid having a salary disclosure. What are your thoughts on that? So that's a really good question. I don't know if you've stumped me, but you've definitely flipped the example and that makes it a really good question. It's our agency's assessment, you know, flipping the same definition of our jurisdiction that if the job explicitly is not allowed to be performed in New York City, then the city's human rights law would not apply regardless of where the employer is based. Fascinating. Catherine, another question that comes up every so often, uh, and we've been hearing about it, is a little bit about whether there is an age discrimination component to salary disclosure. And let me kind of just look at the law real quick for a second and, and the actual text. The law actually states that it shall be an unlawful discriminatory practice for an employment agency, employer, employee, or agent thereof to advertise a job promotion or transfer opportunity without stating the minimum and maximum salary for such position and such advertisement. Now that's the actual text of the statute. The argument has come up that listing a maximum salary or a ceiling or or however you want to characterize it, but listing a range with the top end operates as age discrimination to exclude applicants who might have a certain salary uh, expectation, a certain educational history, a certain experience history, or some other qualifications, or simply might be at later stages in their career and thus command a higher salary range. So by giving a narrower range or, or setting the maximum as such, it's actually operating as an age discrimination in that job posting. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a really interesting question. I think it always makes sense for employers to consider whether their requirements of a job they're posting, be it a number of years of experience or a particular skill set, are necessary for the position itself or whether they are expressing, implying that there's a limitation based on a protected class or having a disparate impact on a particular protected class as opposed to another one. That said, I think it would be extremely difficult for an applicant or for our agency to establish that an employer chose a particular salary range motivated by a desire to avoid having employees in a particular age range, as opposed to for purely economic, financial, business-related reasons. The amount that an employer pays for a particular position is so inextricably linked to the finances of its business operations overall, that I think it would be challenging to show the nexus between the employer's motivation in choosing a salary and the age of the people who ultimately apply for that position. But I would be very interested in hearing from applicants who believe that that's happened to them and to think more about how those facts could come on. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I know that this has been a very fascinating discussion and, and we really appreciate your your thoughts and your time. 
we look forward to uh, picking this up another time and, and chatting a little further about some, some additional points uh, as they come up. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to continuing the conversation. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of SciFar's Point 2 Eleni Nation podcast. 